Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 282. Your longstanding hosts are here, Tom Maluli, hello, and... Brendan Maluli, and uh, I think we're going to talk about Armageddon today, but but not the Ben Affleck movie. That was a terrible movie. There was a lot of people in that movie. <laughs> yeah. But uh, wasn't Bruce Willis in that movie? Yeah, right. He was and at Liv the time. Tyler and Tyler yeah, was yeah, in it. Yeah. And, at the time, uh, I guess Bruce Bruce Willis was probably the, uh, the headliner because that was early on in Affleck's career. I'd say even in hindsight, Willis is probably the, uh, the star of the movie, right? But, yeah. His career really took off when he shaved his head. It's, it's funny to watch the the original Die Hard when he's got like a full head of hair. Yeah, that that is. I always picture him as bald. I liked yeah. him in what was the one the Disney one. With oh, the, the kid, the kid. That, that was a is good one. such a great movie. It is a good I one. love that movie. I like that uh, one. But before all of that, he was essentially an out of work bartender in Camden. He's a Jersey guy. He was trying to do stand-up comedian, uh, be a stand-up comedian. Okay. Wasn't really having much success, but he tried out. He auditioned for a role on a TV show called Moonlighting, hmm. and he got the job. And so he was starring across from Sybil Shepherd. If you can find that show, uh, I guess on Netflix or wherever, it's a great, great thing. And it used to be on uh, ABC, so it was actually on free TV. Hmm back in the 80s, and he was hilarious. He was hilarious. And then uh, he went from doing Moonlighting to uh, he did a movie called Blind Date, Hmm. which was absolutely awful. And then next thing you know, he's in Die Hard. (laughs) Well, uh, also also Armageddon. Uh, I'll use that as a jumping off point for... not non-movie topics. Welcome to the party, pal. Yeah, right? exactly. Isn't that his line? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, in a recent bit of research by uh, J.P. Morgan, they they put out uh, something that looked at Armageddonist comments, and so these were from uh, 2010 to 2016, and they were you know well-known hedge fund, uh, famous investor types making the calls that that we see every now and then, uh, where they go on CNBC or Fox Business or Market Watch or something something of, uh, along those lines to say these are uh, people going on to these different news channels and and making calls like extreme calls for bear markets, recessions, it's the end of the world. Yeah, yeah, crisis type stuff. Right. Now these are not money managers in the pure sense. Really wealthy people who some, have made some of them manage, manage money, like, but I, I don't think it's something. It's not like where a money manager would say, "Hey, we want to get defensive." It's like you said, it's this is the top in the market. This is the end of the world. Yeah, and and again, uh, they noted too. This was more for fun than anything else. They noted too that this the list they have is not exhaustive. And uh, just to give you an example of some of these calls, they said the list is not exhaustive. We, we, we could have included uh, you know such such hits as Bill Gross from 2012, The Cult of Equity is Dying, Harry Dent from 2013, 
The U.S. has gone over the demographic cliff and markets will crash this summer. I think this is really helpful to now look at them. Obviously, in hindsight, we have the answers to the test and we, we know that getting out of stocks in 2012 or 2013 was a terrible decision. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, some people probably took them seriously because these aren't stupid people. And we'll get into more more names on this list. These are well-known either famous people, investors, money managers, however they've gotten to the position they're in, people listen to what they have to say. They make these calls. I know that it keeps them on the cycle of being on these news channels, which is their their goal, I'm sure. I'm sure they're not acting on these calls with their own personal money. But, but people listen and take it seriously. Like we hear from clients when people like Jeff Gundlach say, it, okay, so this is from 2016, Jeff Gundlach. It seems suicidal to buy a broad-based basket of stocks or economically sensitive commodities or emerging market stocks, all of which are very leveraged to economic growth. From the article in Kiplinger, sell everything, nothing looks good. It was July 2016. That was actually right before the market. That was that was the the like the bottom right. uh, of <laughs> of a had- recent cycle. From then onward, Until a matter of days, we had Brexit, and then a few weeks later, we had the U.S. election, and the market went straight up into 2017. Right. We had, so from July of 2016, we had a year and a half period of time where we were up like 40%. Right. And and again, you know, since since then, as we've discussed on previous podcasts, since the beginning of 2018, we've had we've had another stretch where we've just kind of been back and forth in the market recently hitting hitting some new highs and potentially breaking out of a range, but uh no, nothing to write home about, but this was during another one of those stretches where we had been sideways for like a year and a half, two years, but that was the absolute worst time to be making wholesale changes to, to your investment plan. But that's not j- just to, I threw the name out there because people recognize it. Jeff Gunlack's not a stupid guy and that's no, not the point I'm making. the largest bond fund in the world. Yeah, he's he's not dumb, but also I'm not sure that you should be taking investment advice just point blank from some article that he writes because he doesn't know you or what you're trying to do or anything like that. And he certainly uh, isn't held responsible when he says it's suicidal to buy stocks right now. He Nobody's holding him responsible a year later if that was a bad call. That's right. Nobody remembers. But yet we get, you know, these people want to remain relevant. They want to remain in the news cycle. So they want to, you know, not want to, but occasionally they'll make these calls that seem a little outrageous they They have to do get headlines they do get attention (laughs) it does keep them relevant in the news in the news cycle you don't get on the news by saying hang tight and keep doing what you're doing you have to make some kind of extremist prediction and then if you're right then uh it kind of feeds off itself and you get to go on there a million more times and if you're wrong nobody cares anyway because so what they have another guest on next week yep on to another news cycle so let's go through some of these yeah so so what jp morgan did was they looked at uh, a handful of these different calls like like the one from gundlach that we just discussed and they they looked at it in a binary sense so like if you read that article and on that day you took your money out of the S&P 500 and put it into the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, so just all in, all out, either stocks or bonds based on the talking heads, uh, more, more of uh, which we'll, we'll name here, uh, what, what, were, what would your performance have been like if you listened to that call of uh, Armageddon as they're, as they're you know throwing the blanket on all of these? 
Okay, so really uh, freaking bad is yeah, is, we're not is talking the about, here. Yeah, we're not talking about like Elaine Gazzarelli making an offhanded comment in the summer of 1987. Uh, this is not 30 years ago. The oldest one that we're looking at is just about nine years old. Right. Yeah. So, but it's looking back through. Basically, it's looking at the through the duration of the bull market that that we've been in. Yeah. All all of these calls. Um, so Nuriel Rubini. Right. He's kind of gathered the nickname on social media as Dr. Doom. Yeah, and a lot of these guys are notable bears at this point because yeah. they do this stuff all the time. So this was May of 2010. He said there are some parts of the global economy that are now at the risk of a double-dip recession. Remember that phrase? Yeah, oh, very well. We'll do a, a Google uh, Google search history. You can see when people were typing in stuff like this, double-dip recession would yeah. be a spike in this 2010 to 2011 time frame and yeah. literally have not heard a peep yeah. of it since because it never happened yeah uh david rosenberg about just about a year later june of 2011 another recession is coming and soon so says Glus- gluskin chef economist david rosenberg he's a longtime bear on the economy and the stock market and now he, he says he's 99 percent sure in june of 2011 we will have another recession by the end of next year right so just just to pause for a second. So we've got those two. The performance impact of of listening to these calls again and taking all of your money from stocks and shifting it to bonds. If you listen to uh, Rubini in 2010, you cost yourself 60% of performance. Uh, if you if you listen to Rosenberg in 2011, pretty close to that, you you cost yourself 55% in performance. Uh, obviously. You know, this takes into account that that you have earned some kind of a return for being in bonds over that time. But right. this is the differential between between uh, you know what you could have had if you stuck with stocks and didn't listen to these guys, or you know what you got if you shifted to the or bonds. Just stayed with your allocation, even if yeah, you yeah. owned some bonds but had you know right. equity allocation. No, and then and that's an important point because we. <laughs> are vehemently against these all in all out. This is for illustration only. Uh right. making these kind of calls at all whether whether these people were right or wrong, that is just really really risky stuff to be doing and uh not necessary for any investor to reach their goal. Again, I think it just illustrates the ramifications of listening to these people. This is as extreme as it would have been, but like you you know, these guys were wrong. They they didn't nail it at the time and and Rosenberg even said he's 99% sure that we're going to have another recession by the end of the next year, meaning end of 2012, because he made that prediction summer of 2011. That didn't happen. (laughs) So Mark Faber uh, in May of 2012 uh, was quoted as saying, I think we could have a global recession either in the fourth quarter of 2012 or early 2013. That's a distinct possibility. When asked what the odds were, he replied, 100%. If anybody's talking about the odds, I think, so that's a good question to ask people when they have strong views like this. Like, I think that a bear market is going to happen. And I think the two questions you want to ask when somebody tries to make a prediction like that or to tell you that they know this are, okay, when, and how sure are you? Because it, it asks them to be intellectually honest and to apply some probability to this and if you if you ask somebody 
how sure they are and they say 100%, you shouldn't listen to anything that they have to say from that point forward because they are full of crap. Right. (laughs) 100% sure about something like the economy or the stock market? How could you be? Absolutely not. That's... It's you're better off using that line from Dumb and Dumber, you know, ninety nine percent. So you're saying there's a chance, yeah. you know. I don't like ninety nine point nine either because right. that's basically like saying a hundred, but you're being. Uh, you want to be a little cautious, yeah, and, and kind of cagey a bit. <laughs> I think I think the better thing is to use the Anchorman line. Sixty percent of the time it works every time because those are probably more like the odds of what you're looking at. That's more right. more like coin flip odds or something closer to fifty fifty. I mean, if somebody has a hunch. And it's based on smart sounding, good, intelligent research. I mean, I think if the person is an honest person, they'll tell you, look, I, I think this is going to happen, but um, I'm 60% or right. 70%. I mean, that's like, yeah. it's at least being honest out there. So uh, older podcast listeners may remember the name David Stockman because Stockman was the budget director in the first Reagan administration. In fact, don't quote me on this, but I believe he was the one who coined the term trickle-down economics. He later left the White House in a dispute with Reagan because uh, we were supposed to have budget cuts that came with the tax cuts, spending cuts. We're always supposed to, Yeah, and they never happen. That side never happened. (laughs) They never do. Um, (laughs) But uh, anyway, he's gone on to um, really become um, perma-bear on the markets and the economy. Anyway, uh, in March 31st, 2013, Stockman said, when the latest bubble pops, there'll be nothing to stop the collapse. If this sounds like advice to get out of the markets and hide out in cash, it is. March of 2013. So that was the end of the first quarter, 2013, which was a pretty good quarter for stocks, if I'm remembering correctly. The market, in the end of the first quarter of 2013, the market was up about 15%. Right, and it had another 15 to go before the year ended. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good good year to hide out in cash, I guess. Yeah. Do we talk about Peter Schiff? Sure. Yeah, I mean, this, this guy is a uh, gold bug if there ever were one, right? Yeah. So this is around the same time. This is May 30th, 2013. He's, uh, Peter Schiff said, we've got a much bigger collapse coming. Again, to point out what you just said, I'm 100% confident the crisis that we're going to have will be much worse than the one we had in 2008. And then he said on MarketWatch, the crisis is imminent. I don't think Obama is going to finish his second term without the bottom dropping out. And stock market investors are oblivious to the problems. Well... Uh, if market investors were oblivious, it was definitely a lot better than taking his advice because Peter Schiff, where is he on this in terms of uh, performance? Yeah, not so hot. He's down between 35 and 40%. Right, on that call. So that was a good one. And, and just for good... Stockman's just, just below him. Just just for good measure, injecting uh, political opinions into the take, yeah. too. Good, yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Mixing politics and investing. I'll say it. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> well... Okay, what about Carl Icahn? Now, I remember Carl Icahn from the 80s as the corporate raider, the takeover guy. But, you know, the last couple of years, I think since Twitter was invented, this guy has now taken to Twitter and he tweets out these market calls. And then he gets invited on to uh, CNBC and some of these other places. And he starts talking about the economy and starts talking about markets in general. 
What did he say in 2015? I'll just jump ahead to the end of his quote where he says, uh, I do think uh, you're in a very massive bubble, and when it bursts, it isn't going to be pretty. It could be a bloodbath. Uh, another situation where in hindsight, this is 2015, uh, it's probably about 40% to go on the S&P 500 or the Dow, so uh, right. not, not great. George Soros. Famous, oh. famous macro hedge fund guy. Yeah, made a huge bet on the pound, mm -hmm. uh, British pound, years ago, and really killed it. He right. did great. Yeah. Uh, that's really that's really how he made his name. But in January of 2016, global markets are facing a crisis, and investors need to be very cautious, he told an economic forum in Sri Lanka. China has a major adjustment problem. I would say it amounts to a crisis. When I look at the financial markets... There's a serious challenge, which reminds me of the crisis we had in 2008. So uh, to to the to the accompanying chart, uh, that cost you about 30% in performance if you went uh, all all out based on on those comments. A couple more on here. I think I think at this point the, the gist has been uh, understood. Though is that you know this this won't end. There is endless thirst for these big name people to come onto shows and. The reason people want them to come on is because they make these bold predictions and uh, they throw them out there and they don't have any repercussions for doing so. They're probably not doing the same thing they're recommending uh, with their own money. They're not hiding out in cash or uh, you know getting all out of stocks. I, I would really doubt that. But we also don't have to listen or we can or we can hear what they have to say, consider it thoughtfully and wonder if if it if it means anything within the context of your own personal situation but just taking these things as gospel because these are rich successful famous investor types um man i mean this is quantifiable evidence that uh listening to these kind of calls i mean even at this point the amount of money that it, it would have cost you listening to these people they they could be right eventually, but they could have also cost you so much money that it nets out to nothing. Even if you, even if you do nail it by following them into uh, or out of the market at some point in the future, um, they're not consistent. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I mean, this is this kind of stuff is really harmful to investors. I do want to bring up one one at the bottom of the page, only because I know in the next twelve months we're going to hear a lot about politics, and this is not any kind of particular call on politics. But Paul Krugman, mm -hmm. who is an economist, won a Nobel Prize, mm -hmm. he writes regularly for the New York Times. Mm -hmm. This was immediately after the election in 2016. He said it really does look like President Trump and the markets are plunging. So we are very probably looking at a global recession with no end in sight. I suppose we could get lucky somehow, but on economics, as on everything else, a terrible thing has just happened. There's going to be a lot of people in the next 12 months who want to make bets, and they want to bet their portfolio on the outcome of an election, and that is just a terrible thing to do. Whether you're right or wrong, ultimately it's not really gonna have any impact on you. Whoever's in the White House, honestly, it doesn't really have an, uh, an impact on what's happening in the markets. No. If There's... you really wanna worry about what's happening in Washington, watch the Supreme Court, watch uh, what Congress is doing. Right. Even that, I think, has a limited impact on on what's going to happen. There are reactions to headlines. There will certainly be a reaction. I think that's 
an important clarification to make is that there will be a reaction to election results. The initial reaction tells us absolutely nothing about the direction of the market for the duration, the remainder of your investing lifetime and, and what we need to make happen over that horizon doesn't change because power changes in the White House or, or, you know, whatever happens or Congress gets shuffled up. And if you're making changes to your portfolio based on politics, I think as evidenced two times on here, we had somebody scared of the markets because of Trump. We had somebody scared of the markets because of Obama. Both of them were wrong. Regardless of what side of the aisle you fall on, mixing politics and investing, Bad bad idea. But the media will tell you otherwise. They'll be happy to either confirm what you want to hear or enrage you because they disagree and and if you're if you're injecting that into what you're doing with your money i think you're setting yourself up for a bad time well said i'll i'll also piggyback on a a phrase that you just mentioned about the initial move off of an event or news is probably not going to be a long-lasting move, and it may not even have an impact on your portfolio. Over the years, I've sat through so many purchasing managers reports that come out at 8.30, uh, employment reports that come out at first Friday of the month, uh, interest rate decisions from the Fed, and you'll see the market zigzag violently in the first 15, 20, 30 minutes after that, we really can't tell if it's good news or bad news for weeks, maybe sometimes months after these news events get announced and we start to see a trend uh, in these events going on. So yeah, it really, hanging your portfolio decision in or out on Who's going to get elected? Quick quick question. How many regime changes in the White House have you seen over the course of your career? Got into the business when uh, in Reagan's first term. Right. So Reagan for two, right. Bush. Right. Then we had uh, Clinton right. for two. Then we had uh, Bush right. again for two. Right. Uh, that was W. Mm-hmm. Then we had Obama for two. Right. And now we have Trump. Right. That's eight or eight. nine? Eight. That's eight. Eight regime changes and- where was the Dow Jones industrial average, just in ballpark terms, when, when you started working in the business? 1,300. 1,300. And, and where are we today? 27,000. Right. Okay. I rest my case. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I'm, just, really I'm just saying, like, every one of those regime changes, I'm sure there were at least a group of people in this country who felt like it was the end of the world. It wasn't. Yeah. The problem, now everybody has a microphone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely exacerbates things, but uh, no, no need to uh, you know buy into it any more than we would have in the past. That's our message for today. We appreciate you tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next episode.